0: All right, let's take our Bibles, please. Genesis 35, continuing this story, and you'll see it's continuing. When we read the very first word of verse 1, Genesis 35, verse 1 begins with the word and. You see that in the Bible, it's a reminder. It ought to be a reminder, especially in this foundational book, because we see it over and over and over and over again. This is a continuing story. It began in the garden. It began with creation. It began with the, man, the fall of man and God's redemptive plan for man. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Father, please help us tonight, and we we truly submit ourselves and need your help. Thank you for your word, the eternal truth of it, in this dark and hostile world, Thank you, Lord, that we have a place of truth and light and a foundation for our hearts and our minds and our souls. Speak to us, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come tonight, beloved, to the last chapter in the story of Jacob, Jacob's amazing spiritual journey, if you will. It's been a long journey for him, and he's learned a lot about himself. He's learned a lot about his family or others, and he's learned a whole lot about God. After this chapter, we're going to go on in this foundational book to other things because the plan of God will continue. It'll be and again, but then it will continue through the life of a man named Joseph. That's Jacob's son. But before God tells us about uh, Joseph, he first wants us all to see this final sanctification, if you will, at least a picture of sanctification in Jacob's life. He's going to reemerge. Obviously, you know, the book of Genesis, you know, as a very old man at the end of Genesis in this book where his son Joseph will call him out in and then out of Egypt. But here in chapter 35, there are still some wonderful things God wants to teach us in this man's life. Verse one, and God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Now, let me stop here briefly for a moment, just reminding you what happened in the chapter before this. We mentioned it and looked at it a little bit last week. Genesis chapter 34 is one of the single darkest texts in all of the Bible. And not surprisingly, we noted the name of God. In fact, a reference to God is not even mentioned one single time. And then it ends, because of that in part, it ends with with Jacob's daughter being defiled. She is shamed and she is left desolate. And thanks to the fury of her brothers, who were full of their carnality and their, their carnal mind and thinking, they massacred and this massacre at Shechem essentially destroyed whatever security, human security, and whatever reputation Jacob's family once enjoyed. It was in every respect a victory for the devil, and he put Jacob into this position. And if there is ever a man, therefore, at that moment, at the very end of chapter 34, ever a man who needed a word from God, it was Jacob after that horrible and terrible day. And so that word of God, as we just read, did come, and there's no mistaking its source and there's no mistaking its message. Arise, God says to Jacob, and go back. He says, I want you to rise and go to Bethel as you once vowed that you would do, and then I want you to build an altar there. Look at verse 2. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away, if you know anything about those words put away in the Hebrew, divorce, get rid of, uh, separate forever. Put away the strange gods that are among you. And be clean and change your garments. Now, can I ask yourself, where did these strange gods, where did these idols come from? Well, we know that Rachel had some. You may remember she hid them, stole them from her father Laban. No doubt the servants and the handmaidens, they collected some. And certainly, Simeon and Levi, Simeon and Levi, they had, you know, maybe that hall they had, all the loot, and they took some up, they hid some, those images when they looted Shechem. And they were there. And Jacob knew that they were there. And he realizes what we should realize always. And that is the fact that anytime you obey God, anytime you hear the voice of God, and we do in this book, and anytime you want to get close to God by obeying God, You can't be half-hearted about it. You can't do that. You cannot have little idols between you and God. Because, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's only one God. And He will not allow these in-between gods, verse 3. So Jacob says, let's get rid of them, verse 3, and let's arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make thee an altar unto God. Who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. By the way, the earrings it's speaking of here were essentially these zodiac amulets. They were very typical of sort of the good luck charms that the pagans of that day would would put in their ears these amulets, and men would wear them and women would wear them. And it's interesting, again, Jacob knows this is wrong. We're going to go to Bethel, we're going to worship God, we're going to serve God, we're going to get right with God. He knows this is wrong. And in fact, he knows it without the Old Testament and the Mosaic law. That's not here yet. He knows that there's supposed to be a difference and a separation between the world and God's people, even to the point by here, he's telling his people to clean up, change their garments before they come to worship God with him. Unfortunately, verse 4 says, Jacob hid them. He simply buried them under, quote, the oak. The oak, which was by Shechem. And you know, it's, it's probably better not to hide your idols in our famous landmark. Don't bury them there. Just destroy them altogether. I have a dear friend and brother Many of you know who he is. And he was a new convert at the time. He had just been saved for about seven or eight months. I led him to the Lord, and his spiritual growth was like a rocket. And in fact, he had just moved. He had just transferred from Purdue University, where he was studying engineering, to Bible College, where I was. And he was growing like crazy. And he's still in ministry to this day. But I remember when I met him at work, we were welders together, long hair, and he was a hippie, and he was, uh, he was a guitarist in a rock band drugs the whole thing bragged about going to the yes concert in chicago and not remembering any of it because he was wasted on vodka and the whole thing and i said how'd you get vodka into a into a liquor-free stadium he said we took in watermelons but we injected them with vodka ingenious but dumb at the same time so he he got saved he's on fire for the lord and he said jim i want you to come to my house and i came to his house he said there's something bothering me i said what he lifted up the tile in the ceiling and he lived like in this little den, had the beads and the whole thing, you know? He lifted up the tile, and up in there was some marijuana and some alcohol and some old rock albums. And he says, I just need to get rid of all of it, right? Yeah, just get rid of all of it. Don't go buried under a tree. And so, what happens here? You'll notice what happens when Jacob decides to separate him now. Now he really wants to be separate from the world. He's denouncing the family's idols, he's cleaning up his act. And he's going to Bethel to build an altar. Verse 5. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Now first of all, remember, why are they pursuing after the sons of Jacob? Why would they want to? Because they're angry. Because in the chapter before this, as you remember from last week, they had massacred all of these people in the land. They looted their tents. That was plan B of Satan, you may remember. Satan's trying to destroy the covenant by destroying Jacob. He wants that covenant to come to an end at all costs. However, the fear of God, God did this. The fear of God came on all the Canaanites after Jacob separated himself. And you may remember there's a pattern with this. Because back in our study in Genesis 26, that's exactly what happened with Isaac and Abimelech. The Bible tells us when Isaac built an altar and when he separated himself from Gerar and the world, then Abimelech said, we see certainly that the Lord is with him. I don't want to touch this. You know, the world has no respect. Honestly, it has no fear of God, no fear of believers who are just like them. They don't respect that. Churches that are trying to win that over by being just like them it's really the opposite and you can be sure in my view that god does not instill that respect or that fear in the ungodly when christians are compromising and i think that's why with all of the christian television we have and it's it's ubiquitous it's everywhere with all of the christian entertainers christian writers christian athletes with all of the christian celebrities and christian leaders prevalent supposedly in our society you would think that there'd be a revival i mean you would think that all of this christian influence would turn the tide of society it's not turning and i think the problem is too many zodiac earrings and little idols and little dirty garments all over the christians There's no difference verse 6 so jacob came to luz which is in the land of canaan that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, that is the God of Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Why did God want Jacob to go back? Why did God tell Jacob, look, it's time, go back to Bethel? It's, it's as we noted last week, the same reason that we need to go back for restoration, for revival, for renewal. You know, belief sort of like hinges. It gets rusty if those beliefs are not oiled and used. So verse 8, But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Bakuth. We preached on that one year ago, the Oak of Weeping. Why do you think the Holy Spirit put this here? You know, God is not redundant. These details matter. Why do you think he put that one detail in this place? You know, by the time Jacob returned to Canaan, he had discovered that his mother had died. Don't forget, Rebecca, remember, she was kind of conniving. And Rebecca said, look, just go away for a little while. We'll let your brother Esau cool off. And then just come back after two days. There's no two days. Sadly, tragically, it was 20 years. There are consequences sometimes for doing things in the mind of the flesh. And so Jacob comes back and he finds out that his mother has gone. So that slowly, you'll notice something, you'll see it again. Jacob's ties to this earth, all of them are starting to break away. Including now this woman, Deborah, his mother's nurse who's an old woman at this point, Jacob knows her very, very well. She raised him. How many times as a toddler you suppose Jacob came and, to Deborah with a bloody nose or a broken toy or a fearful whimper? So that the Bible says now, reunited with Jacob, she dies in his care. And he calls the famous oak tree the oak of weeping because he's brokenhearted. He's full of sorrow. And the ties are being broken. Verse 9. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Paddan and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel. But Israel, prince with God, shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Now wait a minute. It's important to note here, beloved, almost word for word, God repeats the promise that He made to His father Isaac and His grandfather Abraham. We've been talking about this week after week, and He repeats it, except this time He says, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. I am the almighty God, the all-sufficient God. Therefore, be fruitful and multiply. Because a nation and a company of nations and kings, including one day the king of kings, shall come out of your loins. Kings, a nation, a company of nations? That's, that's an impossible prediction for this, for this family now nomadic. That's not all, verse 12. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee I will give it. And to thy seed, after thee, will I give the land. By the way, let me stop here and reiterate what we've already noted a few weeks ago. And that is that the promise of the land of Canaan, today we know what it is. You know where it is. It's in the news every day. The promise of the land of Canaan of being a light to the Gentiles. That was the only reason for God doing this. It was a missionary thing. It was not given to Ishmael. It was not. You can claim it, change the Bible all you want, write another Bible, call it the Quran, and change it, flip it around from Isaac to Ishmael. But it's, it was not given to Ishmael. It was given to Isaac. And Jacob, who is Isaac's son, not Ishmael's son, is carrying on that promise of God. And that, beloved, again, as we said earlier, is the only explanation for centuries of irrational, illogical hatred and animosity to this one little tiny country. You know, two days ago, it's a spiritual issue. Two days ago, the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn, how many of you saw this? How many of you watched it? handful of you? The presidents of, the, of these universities, these elite schools, went to a congressional hearing, and they were asked the simplest question you can imagine by a congresswoman, I think from New York, Stefanik, Elise Stefanik, and she said very simply, does calling for genocide of Jews violate your rules against bullying and harassment? Simple, right? I mean, they have these rules about bullying and harassment where teachers have been dismissed, In one of these schools, a teacher was dismissed. A lady teacher was, a professor, fired, gone, you're out of here, because she simply said that girls today, young girls today, are wearing Halloween costumes that are inappropriate. Well, she's right. She got fired for that, because it made people uncomfortable. So here was a question, they said, they're all sitting there, you can watch it, Google it, it'll blow your mind. She starts with the one from, I think, MIT. The president of MIT, Harvard, Penn. Does, does, if students in your university call for the genocide of Jews, does that violate your policies on harassment? Harassment. And they would not say yes. I mean, she tried to get them to. She tried to say, look, history's watching, people are listening. Well, blah, 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 blah. just going around in circles. It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. To look at what happened just a few weeks ago and say, no, I can't, we can't, say, you can't forbid people to call for that. There is always, with Israel, and I'm not defending this nation as such, or this government, or Netanyahu, or Zion, none of that, that's beside the point. There is a reason for this illogical, ongoing hatred. That's going back for millennia. Verse 13, and God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. Interesting choice of words. Look at it again. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. God went up, of course. God went up where long ago God gave Jacob a vision of a ladder. And, of course, Jacob feels that his family and, in fact, the entire world must know about this place. He feels that they must know about the significance of this place. So what does he do? He, he sets up a stone. He pours wine on it. And he anoints it with oil. Let's read it. Verse 14. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon. And he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. The stone would ultimately picture Christ, the drink offering, the blood of Christ, and the oil, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it leads us, beloved, to to another funeral and yet another broken tie for this man, Jacob. And this one has far more significance than even Deborah's. Verse 16, let's read it. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. Think of that. A mother in travail, hard labor. And Jacob makes a decision. Verse 17, and it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, that's an important phrase we'll refer to in a minute, quote, for she died, that she called his name ben Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is, here it is, Bethlehem. By the way, let me say this too. Do you not Understand, do we not embrace and recognize and know that heartaches and sorrows and unexplained tragedies happen to God's servants just like they do to anyone else? Do you not know that when someone is in the middle of God's will and doing God's will and put away their idols, that there are sorrows and heartaches in this world? You know, Rachel once said to Jacob, Give me children or I die. She surely didn't mean it to come to this. Rachel dies in her childbirth. It was very common a thousand years ago, of course, but but why? Why would God allow this? And especially after Jacob and the family's, what we would call a spiritual victory. And you know, Jacob could have said this. He could have said, you know, it's not fair. God, this is what I get for following you. Some of you in this room are new converts, and you got saved, and since you've gotten saved, heartaches and troubles and tribulations have come your way. Well, all you have to do is go all the way back to the foundation, you see that it's always happened that way. And Jacob's going, it's not fair. This is what I get. This is what I receive for going back to Bethel and obeying your voice. He could have been filled with guilt. You know why? Because that verse 16 says he journeyed from Bethel, and she had hard labor. He could have said, I should have never done this and been filled with guilt because she's dead because I decided to travel. Why leave Bethel now? Why move away? Rachel is is near her due date, obviously. And what's he doing? He puts her on a camel to move away from Bethel? This long, rough journey? Dangerous, of course. I can imagine Jacob has a very heavy heart and he's bearing some responsibility in this burden because the woman he loved more than any person on earth, is gone. He worked for her. Rachel died. A baby is born. And God is still on his throne. You say, Pastor, what do you mean God is on his throne? God's on his throne through this? Oh, yes. You see, I want to remind you that Rachel did give birth to a son. It's her second son. The question is, what if the son had died and Rachel had lived? Just what if? Or what if Rachel lived because she never expected a child in the first place? Well, this child's name is Benjamin. And you may remember that the first king of Israel came out of Benjamin. You may also remember that as Paul testifies in Philippians chapter 3, he also, Paul, came from This baby boy, Benjamin. Can you imagine a New Testament without the book of Romans or Galatians, Ephesians, Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians? God is always on his throne. Look at verse 19. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephrath, Ephrathah. Does that sound familiar? Bethlehem, not just any old Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephrata. Do you know that up until the birth of Jesus in the Gospels that everybody's singing about and talking about at this moment, that up until that moment, Bethlehem was only known for two things the death of Rachel and an atrocity that happens later on. Bethlehem was the same thing as saying Auschwitz, it was a place of horror, weeping, bitterness. But when Jesus came, behold, tidings of great joy came to Bethlehem. The place was Bethlehem. The the boy was Benjamin, son of my right hand. The place where Benjamin was born. There is always more to the story than earthly eyes can see, including the simple fact that Jacob is learning and he's changing through all of these trials. There's a big picture of redemption. There's the little picture where God is concerned about you as an individual. And so we read in verse 20, And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. Did you notice what it says? And Jacob set a pillar upon the grave. And then verse 21 says, And Israel journeyed. It was Jacob who buried Rachel. It's Israel who moves on. So that now, in every way imaginable, he is a true pilgrim. In every way you can think of, his affections are set upon things above, not on things on the earth. And that doesn't mean that Jacob, Israel, is all of a sudden immune to the heartaches that are caused by sin. Not at all. It's still a sin-cursed world. But God has worked a miracle in this man's life. Verse 22, when it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Did we say that there are still heartaches and pains he's going to go through? So what happened, Pastor? Bilhah was one of Rachel's handmaids, one that became one of Jacob's wives. And in a despicable act, Reuben, the son of Leah, defiled her. And it says in verse 22 that Israel heard it, not Jacob, Israel heard it. This man now with a godly, a spiritual heart, which makes the sin even more grievous and heartbreaking to him. And notice what the Holy Spirit says next. Verse 23, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulon, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali, And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher, these are the sons of Jacob which were born to him in Paddan Aram. Here's what he's saying. Here's what happens. There's a list here. This is the word of God. And this list draws special attention to Reuben. The only one you'll notice of the twelve who has a a comment attached to his name. It says Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, so that his position as firstborn adds further to his sin. And that's why one day on Jacob's deathbed, you're going to hear Jacob indict him. It's down the road, but it's not forgotten. And all of this, beloved, teaches us this. All of this teaches us that ever since Genesis 3, there has been sin in the world. And with sin and great sorrow... There is heartache, there is death, including one more funeral for Jacob. Go down to verse 27. And Jacob came unto Isaac, his father, in the Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. The days of Isaac were in 104 score years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau... And Jacob buried him. Esau and Jacob come back together, twins at birth. They are reunited here to bury their aged father. And in many ways, this is his very last tie to this earth. And why? Please don't miss this. Why is this significant? And why is this being stressed in the Bible over and again? Well, because, folks, from the very beginning of our study, From the very beginning of God's revelation, we have learned that this world is cursed. That because of Adam, sin reigns in our mortal bodies, and therefore there has got to be, there must be, a Redeemer. There has to be a Savior. And if you think about it this way, if you think Jacob's heart is grieved by sin and by death, you think Israel is hurt by the wickedness of his sons... What does the God of heaven feel? What does the Creator himself, the God of heaven, what grief did it cause the God of heaven, his heart, for his son to become sin? All of that sin. And yet God is going somewhere with this. Jacob's cutting ties, yes. But what do we read a few times? Let's go back and look at this, and we'll close. Verse 18, and it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died. Now, let me ask you a question. It says that Rachel's soul departed from her body. Rachel's soul departed from her as she died. Okay, where'd she go? Her soul went somewhere. Her body, we know where that went. was buried by Jacob. But her soul departed from that body. Where did it go? We read earlier, God went up from Bethel after speaking to Jacob. Okay, where did he go? God went up. Where did he go? You see, folks, Jacob was breaking ties to this earth. But at the same time, setting them up there. The more he broke them here, the more the ties were being bound up there. Because God went up there. This old world with all of its sorrows and its sin and its evil and its curse. This world has an expiration date on it. For all of the maniacal ways in which the elites of our world want to save this planet it still has an expiration date. And God has it set. And in large part of our life, a majority of our life, as Christians, is this journey. It is getting our hearts and our affections off of this world. It is gradually more and more setting our affections on things above, off of the temporal things that are here, because those are eternal. And I, for one, am extremely thankful that God is faithful here to show us that He's continuing His plan of redemption. And I'm glad that Israel had a seed who crushed the head of Satan named Jesus and that one day Jesus will stand at the very well. One day after this, the Lord Jesus Himself in His earthly ministry, He's going to stand at the very same Jacob's well. And He's going to stand there and He's going to talk to a sinful, broken woman who is burdened by her sin whose life has been bruised and torn apart, mostly by men. And Jesus is going to look at that woman and say, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. That's eternal. This, beloved, is where God is going in this whole study of foundations. You know, one of the reminders for me in this study is that the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened. It tells us what always happens. The Bible isn't old, beloved. It's, it's, it's eternal. And when you read these stories, these families living three, 4,000 years ago, they're no different than the families out there and families even in here. And these nations, by the way, they're no different than our nations. Oh, the atrocities, these unbelievers, these skeptics. The atrocities and the bloodshed described in the Bible, it's so bad. Okay. What do you call the recent murders and the rapes and the burning of infants alive in Gaza? Just weeks ago. Those are horrors that the presidents of MIT and Harvard and Penn can't even say are worthy of being called harassment. The Bible doesn't just show us what happened. It shows us what always happens in a sin-cursed world. Which is to say that the devil is at work. But always God is at work. And by the way, knowing how God predicted the future of this one man, Jacob, kings will come from you, nations, the king of kings, the savior, the redeemer, knowing how God predicted that he would father all of this knowing that he sees and it's come to pass the devils at work god's at work who do you think's going to win well he already won already the decisive battle of waterloo you know the story napoleon with france the dictator it was, it was the battle wellington from great britain and this battle Ensued, and, and towards the end, there was a signal that was giving out. And they would give these signals that you could see from far away. And the signal said Wellington. It was one letter at a time they would give it. And of course, the Brits were watching, eagerly waiting. What happened? What happened? Because their nation depended on it. Survival. W-E-L-L. It said Wellington finally the last letter, defeated. And then a dense fog came in and they couldn't send the rest. And there was despair and sorrow. And Then the fog lifted and they were able to do the rest. Wellington defeated Napoleon. This world doesn't see it. I got news for you folks, the fog's been lifted. We know who wins. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for showing us that you are on your throne that even in the darkest of times for your greatest of men and women you're on your throne and that when a child of God when the soul departs it goes, if it's saved and redeemed it goes up we thank you that there is a well of water springing up into everlasting life to those who come to your son and thank you for for sending your son to die for our sins Bless now the fellowship of your people, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.